0: Our Father who is in heaven, morning Father, you're that Father we always dreamed about having, and, and Jesus, we're so thankful we have you as a big brother and Holy Spirit, we're so glad you live in us to assure us that we can call our Father Abba and that we have a big brother welcome. Hallowed be your name, we pray in our worship today and in our school and work this week that we would treat your name as holy. We pray, King Jesus, that your kingdom would come more and more in our lives, that we would follow you more and more fully, and we would share the good news of the gospel of the kingdom with others, and more people would become a part of your kingdom. Oh, King Jesus, how we long for you to come back and make all things new. We pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, incline our hearts to do your will, and may we invite others to join us, Give us this day our daily bread. You know our financial needs as people and families and as a church meet our needs and all our physical needs. And Lord, our relational needs, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, forgive us. And then as you forgive us, help us to forgive those that have wronged us. Oh, we pray that that you would keep us from temptation, and that you would deliver us from the evil that's in us, our flesh, of actually thinking we can run our lives better than you. Deliver us from that. Deliver us from the world always trying to squeeze us into its mold. Deliver us from the evil one, from his lies and his deceits. As we open your word together today, we pray that you would teach us, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. This morning we're going to learn that every family needs Jesus, and there's a new family to celebrate today. Uh, yesterday, Madeline Ackerman became Madeline Foreman, and we rejoice. <laughs> See Dave up in front getting to officiate at his daughter's wedding. Uh, what, a, what a special day. In the next picture is the picture of that handsome couple, that good looking couple, right? Boy, if I could offer one piece of advice, it would be that every family needs Jesus. Uh, reminds me of a couple been married for 50 years. Someone said, what's the key to being married 50 years? And they said, we're both in love with the same man. Now, some of that's, you, that's weird. No, but that, they both love Jesus, okay? Um, talk about every family needing Jesus. The next picture is really cool because after six months this week, I got to see my mother. Uh, <laughs> My sister, Julianne, on the right, and me on the left, and my mom's 95 and a half, and my sister does all the work, and she speaks. My mom didn't wake up, and I spoke, and she woke up because mommy loves me best. (laughs) Now, I can trust you guys with something. If I shared something embarrassing, you wouldn't laugh at me, would you? You wouldn't tell anybody, would you? See those sweet shorts I got on there? Those are my mother-in-law's shorts. (laughs) How did I end up visiting my mom with my mother-in-law's shorts on? I woke up on Wednesday knowing I was going to visit my mom, and and there's a neat running trail pretty close to where my mom lives, and so I was going to go and go for a run. I knew when I finished I would be sopping wet, so I needed another pair of shorts to go in and visit my mom, so I reached into my drawer (laughs) and pulled out these shorts, and then when I... Go for a run, I'm changing, and I've got my mother-in-law's shorts. How much do I love my mother? Enough to wear my mother-in-law's shorts and to see her. <laughs> now, you can see the people behind them. You see, they're laughing at me. He's got girls' shorts on. But I know none of you will tell anyone about that, right? Oh, gosh, it was so good to see Mom after, uh, after such a, a long, long time, and I want you to know something that uh, that Jesus has made a big, big difference in my family, and I believe He can make a big difference in your family too. Now, some of you are here today, and you're saying, "You know, Smiley, my family is so dysfunctional." You're in the right place. I want you to know. Listen, every family needs Jesus. You're not alone. And some of you are here today, and you're saying, well, Smiley, my family's not dysfunctional. We have it together. Listen, you need this message more than the other person, okay? (laughs) Because we're going to learn today that every family needs Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter uh, 27. And let me set this up for you a little bit. This year, if you're new, we've been walking through Genesis t- together, getting to know some of the great people of the Bible, like Abraham and-, and Sarah, and then they had a son named Isaac. This is all about 2,000 years BC. Isaac marries Rebekah, and they have she- Rebecca gets pregnant with twins. Esau and Jacob, while they're on the inside, they're fighting. And God tells Rebekah that the blessing, that the Savior was going to come through, through Jacob and not through Esau. And then they're born, and they fight. Do your kids fight? Man, Jacob and Esau, they fought all the time. And one time, one time Esau comes home. He's really hungry, and, and Jacob has fixed some lentil stew. And he says, I want some lentil stew. And he says, I'll, if you sell me your birthright, I'll, I'll give it to you. And so he sold his birthright for some lentil stew. Now, I'm not sure how binding that agreement was as kids, but it gives us a little insight. It gives us a little insight into Esau, right? He he wanted uh, something to eat more than valuing his birthright. But it also gives us a little insight into Jacob, too. He's kind of a deceiver, right? So now we pick up the story, uh, and I'm going to read the last couple verses of Genesis 26 before we jump in. Genesis 26, 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basamath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they brought great grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Something, if you think your family is dysfunctional, we're going to see how every person in this family made really bad choices. And so we start with Esau, and Esau married outside the faith, and it brought great grief to his mom and dad. Genesis 27 1. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. <clears throat> Isaac is 137. Um, and and he's, he's so old he can't tell his kids apart. And yet when you read the Bible, he lives for 43 years after this. 43 years after he can't tell his kids apart, he lives. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know what else is interesting is the twins are 77. That means that Esau has been married for 37 years, and it means that Jacob is now 77 and still living at home with his mommy. I mean, some of you think, man, will my kids ever leave home? He's 77 years old. He's still living at home with his mommy. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear and your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, everyone in this uh, passage sends that Esau marries outside the faith. We have Isaac, and Isaac knew that God said the Savior would come through Jacob, that he was to bless Jacob, and yet he loves Esau more. Esau is his favorite, and so he wants to pass the blessing on to Esau, even though he knows God wanted it to go to Jacob. Um, You have a favorite in your family? Uh, I mean, listen. Isaac, his favorite was, was what? Esau. And Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. Uh, it's easy when you're not a family, to, when you're not a parent, to say I'd never do that. When you're a parent, it's it's much easier to end up there than you think, isn't there? Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So Rebecca's eavesdropping. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat, and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death so rebecca wants to deceive her husband she loves jacob and she wants to make sure he gets the blessing so she invites jacob into this conspiracy with her to deceive isaac and when we hear the name isaac or J- jacob we often think he's what a he's a deceiver right? Where did he learn it from? He learned it from the best, didn't he? He learned it from who? His, his mother. He's learning it from his mother. So Esau marries outside the faith. Isaac is determined to bless the one that God said not to. Rebecca is, is seeking to deceive her husband and draw her son into it. Jacob answered his mother, Rebecca. Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. (laughs) Come on, that's a good verse, isn't it? How would you like to preach on that? (laughs) Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. So he went. So Jacob joins Rebekah in seeking to deceive her husband and his father. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, she also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son, for her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am, who are you, my son? When was the last time you lied? Uh, Maybe to your parents. Maybe you're a parent, you're shocked when your kids lie to you. So this is a patriarch, one of the heroes of our faith, who asked his son, who's in the line of Jesus, "Uh, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. So Jacob is lying to his father. I have done as you told me. Get up, please seat and eat of my game that you may bless me. So when people lie to us, we should be heartbroken, but we shouldn't be shocked, should we? I mean, don't we see it right here in the family of a patriarch? Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. The problem with a lie is you can't tell, what, just one, because if you tell one, then you have to tell another and another and another to cover it up. And now Jacob who's in the line of Christ, one of the patriarchs, brings God and said, oh, God brought it about for me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? Can you imagine? You're Jacob, and your father asks, and he can't see, and he's asking you, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. He lied to his father. So he said, bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, and I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. Does that sound like you've heard it before? Betrayed by a kiss from his own son? So he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of the garments, he blessed him and said, Now, we've been talking about a birthright, and we've been talking about a blessing. Just hang on those words for a minute. In a couple of minutes, I'll come back and explain to you what the birthright and the blessing were. But here he blesses him. See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game so that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently. You know why he trembled? Because he was experiencing the trauma of holiness. He was too close to someone who was too holy. He had almost disobeyed God, and he realized that God had found him out and made sure that Jacob was the one to get the blessing. He saw his sin, that he was in the presence of God. He trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Do you hear him? And said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has, stolen away, has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, he has taken away my blessing. Birthright. <clears throat> the firstborn son had a birthright. We might speak of that today, the word privilege. He had a privilege. But with the privilege, there were responsibilities. The firstborn got a double share of the inheritance, but he also got all the responsibility. That if the dad died and the mom was still alive, the firstborn son was to take care of him. The firstborn son was to take care of the younger brothers and sisters. The firstborn son would be the spiritual leader of the home. Yes, he would be blessed, but he was blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the family. That's the birthright. Now, the blessing was more like a will today that when someone dies, they have a written will. They didn't have a written will, so they would have an oral blessing. The dad would gather his kids together and say, this is how I want the inheritance to be divided. And Esau says, my brother has stolen my birthright and my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master, And all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother you will serve. But it will come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise. Flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send... And get you from there, why should I bereave of you both in one day? Rebecca said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If, Re- if Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like those from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Deceit, lack of trust, desire for murder, all wrapped up in one family, and this is the family of a patriarch, Right? And so so Rebecca sends Jacob away for a few days. Do you know it will be over 20 years that he's gone? And and, and according to the Bible, I don't think she ever saw Jacob again on earth. What a mess. Um, Preaching from a historical passage is, is kind of challenging, isn't it? Because I don't want to read this passage and then tell you, go and do likewise, right? That doesn't seem like a good plan, does it? So as I read through the story, their family reminds me of all of our stories, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind you a lot of your story? Aren't we kind of surprised that one of the great heroes of the family, their or the faith their family, was that messed up? And that's why what I learned from this passage is that every family needs Jesus. Isn't that true? Huh. Years ago, those of you who have been here for a long time, what, we used to have dramas in our, in our worship service. We'd have some skits that would kind of illustrate biblical truths. And One of my favorite ones years ago when we used to meet in the Riverview Club is we had three guys on a park bench. Two guys were sitting next to another. The one guy was like a real loser, and the two guys said about that person, talk about someone who needs Jesus. And they were meaning that person. When really, who needs Jesus? Who? All of us do. And so we read this story and we say, what? Talk about a family who needs Jesus. Isaac's family did, didn't it? Yes. Isaac's family needed Jesus and your family needs Jesus and and my family needs Jesus because every family needs Jesus. Now, we want to equip you not only to follow Christ in your family, but we want you to become a disciple and a disciple-maker. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in the small group queue, every week, they're the same questions, <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Every week when we gather together we ask the same questions. And the reason for that is all over the world in the disciple making movement people are winning people to Christ and they're making disciples who can make disciples by doing something very simple. They just read the Bible with someone. Come and read the Bible with me and then they ask them three questions. So I want to equip you to be able to lead a Bible study in your home or in your family, or on your team, and your office, just invite someone to come and read the Bible with you, and then ask them the questions that we ask every week. What does this passage tell you about God? What does this passage tell you about people? And how does this passage apply to your life? So as we read this story, and I was having a difficult time kind of unpacking it, I, I just asked the question, What does this passage tell us about God? And the first thing that it tells us about God to me is that the Bible is one story. The one story of the Bible is the gospel. And from cover to cover, the Bible says there's only one good person. There's only one good person. We meet Abraham. And Abraham points to Jesus, but we discover very quickly, Abraham is not what? He's what? He's not Jesus. He points to him, but he's not him. And then we meet Isaac. And Isaac, what he, he points to Jesus, but real quickly we discover what? He's he's not Jesus. And then we get to Jacob. And Jacob points to Jesus, but he's listen, he's not Jesus. From cover to cover, the Bible goes to great lengths to teach us there's only one good person, and his name is Jesus. Know what else we see in this passage uh, about God is that God is sovereign. And that means that God is in control. And God is in control of everything, and He's working everything out to save His people. God is working to bless a people and use that people to be a blessing to all the nations, and He can even use the sinful actions of people like Isaac and Esau and Rebekah and Jacob. He can use the sinful acts of people to bring about His purpose of blessing the world through a Savior. And don't we see that throughout the Bible, don't we? Remember the cross? Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And notice what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. While God was here on earth and he gave evidence of that, in the person of Jesus Christ, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus died on the Passover at exactly the right time, exactly as God intended. He was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You, nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Judas betrayed Jesus. The religious leaders falsely accused him. The Romans nailed him to a cross. And all of these sinful actions by sinful people were used by God to bring about our salvation. And uh, Jesus didn't stay dead, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Our God is sovereign, and and He was using the sinful choices of men to accomplish His purpose of Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And so what promise does our sovereign God make to us? In Romans 8, verse 28, we read, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, look at this verse. It doesn't say that everything that comes into our life is good. No, what it does say is everything that comes into our life comes through God's plan, hands, and He makes a promise to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. His promise is He will use those things for our good. And, And what is the good that He's working toward? Verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God makes a promise that everything that comes into our life comes through his hands, and if we look to him, he will use all those things to make us more and more like Jesus and then to expand his family here on earth. And isn't that what we see happening with Jacob, isn't it? Isn't God working even through their sinful choices to conform Jacob to his image? And then to work through Jacob to bring salvation to all the nations? So, what do we learn in this passage? What does this passage tell us about God? That, listen, the Bible is one story and there's only one good person. His name is Jesus. Secondly, it teaches us that God is sovereign and he's at work in all things, um, saving his people. What does this passage tell us about people? What does this passage tell us about people? It tells us that every family needs Jesus. Uh, I mean, we read the story about lying and deceiving and and, and wanting to murder your brother, and and people often ask, well, why didn't God pick a better family? You know why God didn't pick a better family? Why didn't He? Say it out loud. What it there weren't any. There weren't any. Listen, the Bible is very, very clear. There weren't any better families because not only does every family need Jesus, every person needs Jesus. The bad news of the gospel in Romans 3, verse 23. Will you read this verse with me? It says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See what it says, the the glory of God? That's God's plan for us. That's God's plan for the family. And you know what he's saying? Everybody has fallen short of God's plan for the family. Everybody. uh, For all have sinned. Isaac fell short. Rebecca fell short. Esau fell short. Jacob fell short. I fall short. You fall short. All have sinned. We all fall short of God's standard. We've all sinned against God and are in big trouble. That's the bad news. But the good news is there is one good person. There is one good person. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is God who became a man to save us. He lived a perfect life. He lived the beautiful life that God requires and we couldn't so that he could go to the cross and die in our place. Listen to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll never forget when I first understood that while I was still living in rebellion against God, while I was still saying, get out of my life, he loved me and died for me. Isn't that amazing? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took our sins upon himself, and and he died in our place, paying in full the penalty for our sins, and he rose on the third day because we've all fallen short and we all need a Savior. Jesus rose, rose proving he had conquered sin and death, and he offers us salvation. He offers us eternal life. And what does he require of us? In Acts 16, a jailer asked the Apostle Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved? One of the things that really amazes me as a pastor is how seldom I'm ever asked that question. Isn't that interesting? I would think that that would be a question that people would ask me all the time. It's the most important question in the Bible, but people don't ask me. They, most people who, who call me, they, they want me to give them money. They say, Hey, you have some money for me. But no one asked me, What must I do to be saved? That's the most important question in the Bible. And notice what they said. They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And you say, Well, what does it mean to be saved? It's to be saved from the guilt of our sin and the penalty of our sin. It's to be saved from wasting our life and wasting our eternity. It's to be saved for. It's to be saved for forgiveness. It's to be saved for an abundant life now. It's to be saved for everlasting life with Jesus. So what do we do to be saved from and be saved for? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Listen, listen. What's your plan to get to heaven? Every one of us, we're either trusting in ourselves, I'm a good person, or or we're trusting in Jesus. What are you trusting in? If you're trusting in yourself, what this passage says, you need to transfer your trust from yourself and your good works to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And uh, transferring our trust is really as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. And it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry, won't you? It's not just Isaac, not just Rebecca, not just Esau, not just Jacob. Lord, I'm a sinner. Uh, Forgive me. And and then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And, And then we commit to Jesus as Savior. I want you to forgive me and give me eternal life. I'm trusting you, not me. It means we trust him as Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you? Won't you do so before you leave? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Admit, believe, commit. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So, what does this passage tell us about God? That there's only one good person and that God is sovereign. What does this passage tell us about people? That every family, that every person needs Jesus. It's so important we believe in him. And then the third question is, how does this passage apply to your life? How does this passage apply to your life? Since every family needs Jesus and every person needs Jesus, how it applies to our life is all of us should run to Jesus. We need to run to Jesus to get everything we need to follow Him in life and in our families. Um, Know why we run to Jesus? We run to Jesus to find out His plan And his purpose for family. In John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you were truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now Jesus says one of the marks of his disciples is what? Is they do what? They continue in His Word. Listen, if every family needs Jesus, and they do, in every person, then we run to Jesus and open up His Word to discover God's plan and purpose for marriage and family, right? I mean, could we say huh, that we live in a time where we hear a lot of voices, and you ever wonder what is true? You know what's true, don't you? What? God's word is true, so we run to his word for truth. We live in a time where there's a moral and sexual tsunami sweeping across our country, and there's great confusion. And in the midst of this, don't we run to Jesus, don't we? And open up his word and said, what is your plan and purpose for marriage? What is your plan and purpose for sex? What is your role for a husband and wife and parent and child? What's your plan? So let me ask you, do you love His word? Do you treasure His word? Do you care more what His word says than what our culture says? Do you run to His word? Do you sit under his word? Do you say, "Teach me your ways? That's the mark of his disciple. But we run to Jesus not only, not only so that we can know His, his plan and purpose for family, but we run to Him for the Holy Spirit because we need help in following the plan. I mean, it's one thing to know His plan, right? It's another what? To to do it, isn't it? Matter of fact, um, I would say the unbelieving person only has two problems when it comes to obeying God's plan for the family. You know what those two problems are? They don't want to, and they're not able to. Listen, an unbeliever doesn't want to obey God's plan for the family, and second, is not able to. it, And that's why we run to Jesus, right? So that he would give us the desire, the want to, and the power to follow his plan. And that's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 7, verse 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you read God's plan and purpose for marriage or sex and you say, that's hard, I need help, that's good. That's why we run to Jesus, I need help, I need help. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because jesus was not yet glorified after 40 days after he rose jesus ascended into heaven and then he poured out the holy spirit the holy spirit's been poured out on us to give us the desire and power to follow god's plan and purpose for marriage and for life and so we run as thirsty people give me the desire and power to follow your plan you know what happens when we meet jesus in the word the holy spirit says Look how beautiful it is when people follow God's plan for marriage and family. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that the way you want to live? And God shows us that when sex is reserved for marriage, He says, isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that how you want to deal with this? Isn't that how? And so we say, Holy Spirit, give me the desire and power to follow God's plan. Oh. So listen, what does it mean to run to Jesus? We run to His Word so we discover His plan and purpose, right? And then we run to His Spirit asking His Spirit to give us the desire and power to follow the plan. And you say, how do we do that? Isn't that why we're here today, isn't it? Why do we get up early on Sunday? Why? Why do we get to church early? Because on Sunday, we get to hear the Word of God. We live in a time of great moral confusion, and one of the gifts that God has given His church are teachers who are gifted in His Word. And so we run to worship because we want to hear what God's Word says about the family, right? And we come saying, Lord, Give us the desire and power to follow your plan because when we follow your plan in our culture, we're not going to win popularity contests. We need you. Is that you? And isn't that why we get up in the morning? Listen, I don't get up in the morning and spend time with Jesus because I'm good. I get up and spend time with Jesus because I live in a culture that's hostile to everything I believe in. And I get up so that I don't drift with the culture. I get up and I spend time with Jesus because he is the truth. What did Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Do you want to waste your life? Do you? Why wouldn't we get up and run to Jesus because we don't want to waste our lives and say, teach us your plan, your plan for my family, your plan for my life. Why wouldn't we get up and plead with the Holy Spirit to give us the desire and power to follow His plan and bear much fruit? Hmm. Listen, Sunday we run. We run to worship Teach us your word. Holy Spirit, give us the desire and power to follow your plan this week. We get up each day. We run to Jesus. It's going to be hard today. Jesus, teach me. Give me the desire and power to follow your plan. And listen, as you run to Jesus this week, invite others to join you, won't you? Won't you share with someone else what you learned this week? You say, how? you know what people often tell me? They say, well, you know, Smiley, my family's dysfunctional. You know how I respond to that? I laugh and laugh and say, glad mine isn't. And they'll say, what? And I said, listen, you're not the only one. Every family is dysfunctional, especially mine. And they'll say, really? Yes. Yes. You know what we learned in church on Sunday? Every family needs Jesus, especially what? Especially mine. Listen, this week, uh, when you're with someone and... And, and they share a struggle in their, own, in their own family or maybe just in their life, why not say, me too? Step toward them. Step toward them and say, me too. And they'll say, what? And then just tell them, hey, know what we learned in church on Sunday? <laughs> we learned that every family needs Jesus. And they'll say, well, how can Jesus help your family? Oh, man, know what Jesus does in my family? He forgives me. Do you know how much I've messed up as a husband and father? Jesus forgives me. Would you like to be forgiven? know what Jesus does? He gives me a pattern in his word for my marriage and family. Could you use a pattern? You know what Jesus gives me? He gives me the Holy Spirit. He gives me the desire and power to follow his plan. Listen, every family needs Jesus, especially mine. (laughs) And you know what? Every person needs Jesus, too, especially especially me. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so glad there's one good person, and that's you. We're so glad you lived that perfect life that God requires and we couldn't. And we're so glad that you died on the cross while we were yet sinners in our place. And Lord, thank you for offering to save us from our sins so that we could do life in eternity with you. And listen, If you've never been saved, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, won't you? I mean, don't wait till it's too late. Won't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come into my life and and be my savior and forgive me of all my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've prayed that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray for those of us who've received you that today we would realize how much we need you. And we would run to meet you and worship and in time with you in your word. That we would run because we want to be taught by you. And we would run to you so that your spirit would flow through us, giving us the desire and power to follow your plan. And Lord, I pray as we go out this week that we would invite others to run to you as well because we share something with common with every person and every family in our community. Every one of us and every family needs you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.